listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. God, we pray that we would allow our heart to be open, God, to you, because we can close our heart. God, we can have, we, we can have a hardened heart, a heart that says, I don't need you. But God, I pray that everyone would say, God, I need you tonight. I pray that each and every one of us would open up our hearts for you to speak to our lives and to touch us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen in the house. Amen. What a great series. Really a great series. Can I give you a preview for next month too? Next month is going to be off the charts. Special day happening next month too. It's called Mother's Day. Anyone ever heard of that? It's happening next month. We're excited about that. And remember, Mother's Day is just a practice for the next month when it's Father's Day. So we're practicing for the real day. Miss D always tells me off for that one. But I, I always say that comment and still get in trouble for it. But I've got to give you a shout out for next month. Next month we're going to talk about, I don't know exactly how it's going to be in titled yet and how we're going to title the message, but we're going to be talking about dealing with offense, living unoffended, and how easily we can be offended in our life and what a tool it is of the enemy to bring us into offense. And we're going to be talking about living an offended free life. And I just really think it's going to be a timely message for a lot of people. Anyone know any offended people need to be in the house? Remember, offense is never given. It's only ever received. And so we're just really going to deal with that and slam that home. And we're just really expecting that to be another, another great month. So again, like we said, here's a great series on the Bible, true or false. And we've just really been covering such a lot of information. But it's information that I know is helping you process the word. I pray it's helping you to accept it and understand God's word in a greater way in your life. Who's kind of had a greater love of God's word just through the last few messages that we had? And, 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 And keep hanging in there. If it hasn't hit you yet, we pray that it is really going to hit you. On Sunday, we began with talking about the wise man. We read the scripture from Matthew 7, 24, the one who built his house upon the rock. I want to come from the flip side and start tonight. And I'm going to go to the foolish man. And I'm going to talk about Matthew 26, 27 from the Message Bible. If I could read it tonight, it says this. But if you just use my words in Bible study, And don't work them into your life. You are like a stupid carpenter. In other words, you're stupid or dumb. Isn't that what they're saying? You're foolish. You're ignorant. It's ignorant. It's it's foolish for you to be this. And that kind of foolish person built his house. Now, please understand, the house is not a physical house as a building. We're talking about your life. We're talking about your home. We're talking about your finances, your future. Everything about you is incorporated in the home that you're building according to the Word of God. So if we're stupid, we are building our lives on a sandy 
beach. Sandy beach sounds good. It, it sounds good. Can get a tan. Everyone likes the beach. That's great. It may be nice for a tan, but it's not a great place to build your life upon. Because it says, when a storm rolled in. Notice it's not if a storm came, but when. And it's not just when, it's when and when and when and when and when and when and when. You get the picture. Storms come. Not just once. They can come after each other. Problems can come many times in our lives. So when the storms come and the waves will come, it collapsed like a house of cards. Which again is such a strong contrast, isn't it, to what we read on Sunday to the person who takes God's word to heart, applies it to their life, and what do they do? They build their lives upon the foundation of God's word. They work it into their life. I like that. Work the words of God into your life. God says you're a smart carpenter, and guess what? Who after the storms still came, that house stood. We're teaching you truths that's going to make you stand through every storm and trial of your life. Listen to me. The house that was built on the rock maybe had some missing shingles. The fence maybe blew down in a few areas. There was maybe some water damage done through the hole in the roof as some of the rain came in, but the main structure was still intact and standing firm. Come on, we're going to face some cosmetic damage along the way. We're going to face some cut knees and some bruises and bumps. We're going to have some knocks and spills along the way. But we're going to be structurally secure if we build our lives upon the Word of God. So what was the difference between the sandy beach and the rock? It was what? Whether we apply God's Word and live by God's Word in our life. God's Word is the foundation for your life. If you're not making it good in life, are you reading the Word? You need to be reading the Word. Because let me remind you of this scripture, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation tonight. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed, given to us. It's His love letter, His GPS, His manual of life that He has given to us. And it is what? What does it say? And it is what? Come on, help me out. It's on the screen. You can read tonight. Come on. And it is useful. The Word of God is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong. We could just shut the message up and go home and say, enough said. Because we need to be taught what's right and wrong in our lives. What does that? The usefulness of the Word of God spoken into our lives. Because remember, it's not just words. It's power to fulfill the words. That it's God behind the words too. So it will teach us to make what is right and wrong. It corrects us when we are wrong. Man, I need that. I need that. And it teaches me to do what is right. If I want to be a good husband, I can find it in the Word of God. If I want to manage my finances, I can find it in The Word of God. Why? Because it's not just a book. It's not just words. Yes, it's something we need to read each and every day. For what reason? It's useful. It's correcting. It's teaching. It's guiding. It's life. Say with me, it's life. That's what we're talking about tonight. The Word of God 
his life. Two of the greatest tools that God has ever given to mankind is this, prayer and his word. Prayer, and I hope you understand the importance of prayer. We began this year 21 days of prayer and fast, and we talked about that living by purpose, the importance of having a prayer life and praying to God. Even when we don't know what to pray, God's Spirit can pray through us. God can teach us how to pray in our own way, in our own words. But prayer and the Bible are two of the greatest tools that God gives. Prayer is our time to talk to God, and His Word is His time really to talk back to us. But I want you to think of this. Prayer and the Word of God are like wings on an aeroplane. You need them both to get somewhere. Because if you don't have, if you're a one-winged bird, you may be flapping around, but you're going in circles. You're never going to get to your destination. And too many Christians are just squawking around on the floor because they have no wings, because they don't have prayer and they don't have the Word. And then others kind of have a little bit of one, but not the other. And we're falling and flapping and going all around. But those who wait upon the Lord, we can mount up with wings like eagles. We can fly to new heights that we're looking down at our problems instead of looking up with our problems. Why? We don't have no business to be scratching around with the chickens when God has called us to mount up like wings of eagles. And we've got to mount up, and we do that through the Word of God. It's the wings. It's that which helps us and enables us. And we can't do life without having both of those things present, engaged, and active in our life. And I've really enjoyed teaching this month because the goal, again, is to make you love the Word of God. So you'll read the Word of God. And then you'll apply it, you'll live it, you'll be the word because that has to be our goal. So on Sunday we talked about understanding God's word. We gave a lot of information and I want to help you just a little bit more to just take that to the next level. If you missed Sunday, please play catch up. We've got some CDs on the table in the lobby podcast is up. Please play catch up so you can be a part of the message and just get that into your life. And I'm really excited about this Sunday. Can I give you a sneak preview of this Sunday too? We're talking about how to defend the Word of God. We're going to be talking about apologetics. It's a big word. We're going to be breaking it down more. But we're going to be showing you how you can have arguments or how you can answer the arguments of other people that say the Word of God is not true. It's a fictional book. It's not true. And we're going to give you seven key areas that every one of them can stand on their own to prove the fact that the Word of God is totally infallible, totally correct, totally the truth of God's word. We're going to give you the proof that it's real and it's credible for our lives to be built upon. And the word apologetics means reasoned arguments or writing in justification of something. So we're going to really be helping you with that because the word of God is, is, is up for debate amongst people. Oh, it's just old-fashioned. That's not true. It's been proven this and that. We're going to show you on Sunday that you can tackle the greatest arguments because it's not just one thing, it's seven things. And in one of those alone, it's going to blow your mind. I really believe this. So again, a lot of information, but it's going to be good stuff. And we're going to have some worksheets again for you so you can just follow along and fill in the blanks. Okay? So say with me tonight. Tonight, we're going to just look again at more understanding of God's Word. Here's a question I want to ask for you all tonight. And the question is this. What do you think the main subject of the Bible is? What do you think the main subject of the Bible is? Just think about that for a second. What 
is the main subject of the Bible. Who's got an idea? Shout, just shout something like love. Okay, good. Love. Anyone else? Spirit. People. Jesus. Life. Okay, really good things. Okay, let's, let's ask this then. How many thinks that the subject of the Bible is about love? Come on, put up your hand. Think it's about love. Okay, remember, you can't go for two. You can only go for one, so don't hang there. How many thinks it's about people? It's about man. Okay, how many pe- thinks it's about life? Who thinks it's about Jesus? Okay, well, can I tell you tonight, the answer is this. The main subject of the Bible is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the main subject of the whole Word of God. If you would read through the Old Testament, which a lot of people say, well, Jesus is not in the Old Testament, I beg to differ. Because the entirety of the Old Testament, remember, is mirroring the New Testament. And what we will see is that the Old Testament is prophesying and pointing towards Christ. And then the New Testament is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament has presented. So everything in the Old Testament points towards Christ. It creates the need that we have for Him because man is incapable of making the right decisions for their life. And then the New Testament then reveals the answer to man's dilemma. Jesus Christ came and then He lived here on earth. He died. He rose again. And then there was the early church that He set in place, the principles of life that we are to live for. Now we were many of us would maybe say, well man is the subject. No, man is the object. Christ is the subject. So we've got to really so really man, the object, is the reason the subject came. Jesus came for mankind, but the whole theme of the Word of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come for himself. Can I say that again? Jesus didn't come for himself. He came to redeem man. He wasn't just up in heaven and go, man, I'm just kind of bored up here. Let me just go down to earth. He came down to earth for a mission, for a purpose. He came to be the sacrifice to redeem man who was lost in sin and bring him back to the Father. To buy him back, to pay the price that sin and Satan demanded that was laid upon our hearts. John 10.10, we know this scripture. Remember, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does God say? Here's the reason I have come. He says, I have come to give you life. Notice, I have come to give back to you that which you have lost, to restore back to you that which the enemy has taken, to give back to you a future and a hope. And God's not just talking about a mere breathing or an existence like a lot of Christians just settle for. Well, I'm just making it through life. Oh, I'm barely making it through. I'm going to just crawl through the gates of heaven. No, no. God died that you can bust open wide the gates of heaven, that you can live victorious in your life because God says, I've come to give you life and life of abundance. I've come for you to have an abundant life. And because Jesus isn't born in the New T- Old Testament, many people think that, man, the Old Testament then is not important. And I'm telling you, if you would look for Jesus, and that's a challenge in everything you do, look for Jesus throughout the entirety of the Bible and you can find him because he is in there. Who do you think was the fourth man in the fiery furnace? 
Who do you think that was? That's the Old Testament. And in fact, if you don't believe me with that, look at this. Daniel 3, 21 through 25, it says this. Do we have that scripture? Daniel 3, it says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers and their turbans and other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound and cast into the fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, the people who threw them in, the Bible says, were killed. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, what? Bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire. And they answered, yes, king, true, O king. He says, look, he answered, I see four men loose and they are walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the fourth, what, is like the Son of God. Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. We just got to see him. And I love the fact they went in bound and the only thing that the fire burnt was their, 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 band, their bonds that held them captive. That Jesus showed up, and when Jesus shows up, He makes everything all right, and He sets us free. In fact, do you realize in the Old Testament alone, there are over 300 prophecies of Christ. There are over 300 prophecies talking about the birth, the resurrection, the life where Jesus was being born, when the fact that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but even talks about the crucifixion of Christ. And this is David writing this. And this was written, I believe, 700 years before crucifixion was even something on the face of this earth. David and those didn't even know what crucifixion was because it wasn't until the Romans came in that crucifixion was in. Instituted. So David is writing something he knew nothing of. Nothing of. No one of that day knew anything of that. Each one of those prophecies, what? Pronouncing Christ. Announcing Him. In fact, I, I love this scripture. Look at this scripture, John 5 verse 39. This is Jesus speaking to a group of people. He said, you, sh- you search the scriptures. And please be reminded of this. The scriptures he's talking about is just the Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. Jesus is just here. It hasn't been written yet. It's going to be written as a result of his life and then after him. But it hasn't been written yet. So Jesus says to all them of that day, you are searching the scriptures for them. You, for in them you think you have eternal life. What did we discover on Sunday? The Old Testament was external. So what did they think? If I keep the letter of the law, if I do all of those things, I will earn my way to salvation. Jesus came to show them that they weren't good enough. The whole Old Testament points to the fact they couldn't do it on their own. But notice, Jesus said, you think by doing the right things, you're going to experience eternal life. But what does Jesus go on to say? He says, but all these things... These scriptures, all these things, he says what? They testify of me. Notice this. It's all about me, he said. It's all about me. New Living Translation says you search the scriptures because they think they'll give you eternal life. But the scriptures all point to me. Why? Because I'm the subject of it all. 
I'm the subject of it all. I love the message Bible. It says, but you miss the forest for the trees because these scriptures, they're all about me. It's all about me. Here I am. This is the life. This is what you need. And the scriptures aren't just about me. They're about my plan for mankind. Because it's not just about an egotistical, it's all about me. I want my name in the bright lights. That's not what God is saying. Hey, look at me. See me. That's a statement of intent. It's about me for what reason. And the plan that I have to bring redemption for mankind. The subject is me for what reason. Because the answer is me to every problem that you will ever face in your life. So when you read the Old Testament, look for Jesus. There's a great book out there, and I, and I ordered it today, and, and I was recommended this book, and I think every one of you should do it. It's called What the Bible is All About. I paid $4, I think $4.60 for a used book because it was in the, one of the original ones on Amazon today. You can't beat that. And it's What the Bible is All About by Dr. Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears was with Billy Graham for years. You've probably heard of Billy Graham. He, she was one of his leading intercessors that prayed for his ministry and went to the cities and rallied the people in prayer to see the great revivals. This is a lady that knew the heart of God. And she's written a book called What the Bible is All About. And literally, it's cliff notes for the Bible. You understand what I mean by cliff notes? goes through every book of the Bible and in a few pages it gives you a description of what that book is about. But listen to me, in the Old Testament, every one of those chapters includes this part, where is Jesus in this book? And it shows you Jesus in every one of the books of the Old Testament and then on into the New Testament. So I really recommend that as a great read for you, just showing you Jesus so you can see the subject of Jesus. And that's why I love the Old Testament too. Some people don't even preach from the Old Testament because that's the Old Covenant. I preach the old and the new. Why? Because it shows and it reinforces and validates and supports. It doesn't contradict. It supports that which we're saying. And I just really believe, why can't Jesus bring the New Testament reality to the Old Testament values of the life? There's values in there that God can bring New Testament reality to those things. And not by compulsion or force, but by changing me. So I'm going to want to do it, that I want to read his word. So remember, the subject is Christ. The object is mankind. Now, here's the next question. You ready? We're like on an English quest today. What is the verb of the Bible? What is the main verb of the Bible? Who's going to shout out right now? What do you think is the main, literally by the verb of the Bible, I mean, what is the main action or intent of God's word? What is the action and intent of God's word? Come on, any suggestions? What would you say the main verb of the Bible is? Love, change, faith, enrich, save, good, 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 really good. Great ones. Most of us would probably say love was the main verb of the Bible, but it's not. Love is the foundation of the verb, or it's the motivation of why it was done. But the greatest verb, or the verb of the Bible, is even greater than love. And let me show you what I mean. Jesus didn't just have love for you. 
Love isn't what he does. Love is who he is. He is love. Understand that. He is love. He didn't just have love. But what did he do with that love? He gave it. He gave it. He expressed that love. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. You know what the verb of the Bible is? Gave. He gave love. It's not love. That's the foundation of the verb. That's the motivation to do it. But the real verb of the Bible is giving. He gave freely for you and I. He gave his only begotten son. He gave heaven's best for you and I that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The verb of the Bible is he gave. And guess what now he requires of us? The same thing. For us to give our lives. For us to give our lives. Anyone know what 1 John 3.16 says? Anyone know what 1 John 3.16? We know John 3.16. Anyone know what 1 John 3.16 says? Look at this. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to what? Lay down our lives for other people. Notice this. He gave first. And now what's our response? We give. He gave so we can give. He gave us life so we can give life. He gave us hope so we can give hope. He gave us grace so we can give grace. He gave us acceptance so we can give acceptance. Are you getting the picture today? He gave so you and I could give. He gave so we could give. So important that we follow his example. So why do I need to understand the Bible? Why do I need to know the subject and the verb? Why? Because it teaches me how to give my life to him And then how I can give my life to other people. He gave so we can give. Someone said this. Chris Hodges said this words. Listen to this. He gave for your life what no one else was even in the line to do for you. Think about that. He gave that no one else was in the line to give to you. No one else was lining up to give their life as a sacrifice for you. No one else was in the line to say, oh, I'll pay the price. He gave what no one else was willing to do for you. But he was willing. The subject of the word of God was willing to give everything for you. The greatest expression of love this world has ever known, has ever seen, was him giving his life and laying it down for us. Because he didn't lay it down for people who loved him. He laid it down for religious church-going people who crucified him, who spat on him, who beat him, who said, if you really are who you say you are, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. No, they wouldn't have believed him. No, they wouldn't have accepted him. It was just Satan's way of trying to get him not to fulfill the will of the Father that he made a vow to. So the greatest act of love this world has ever seen is his giving. Now he's looking to us and saying, what will our response be? What will our response be? 
I asked Jesus once how much he loved me and he stretched out his hands and he died for me. If giving his life was the greatest thing he could do for me, me living my life for him is the greatest thing I could ever do for him. You see, there's only two responses that we can make today. We can either give or we're going to take. We're going to give or take. And the word of God tells us that we've got to give. We've got to give. In understanding his word, I believe we understand and see the role that we play in God's word. Because look at this scripture, John 13, verse 35. It says this, By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Have love. If you give love, if you give acceptance, if you give another chance to those around through the relationship that you have with me. New Living Translation says, Your love for another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. History is still being written through our actions. History is still being written. And the subject of the word is still the same, Jesus Christ. And the verb is still the same that he gave. But listen to this. You and I may be the only Bible that someone will ever read. What subject are they seeing? What verb, action and intent is going out from your life? Because if, if we don't watch, the subject's not Jesus. And if we don't watch, the verb is not given, it's taken. Because it's me, me, me. What I want, what I need. But I pray as you read God's word, you will see how generous God is to you. How gracious he is to you. How merciful he is to you. How forgiving he is to you. That you will see that through the entirety of God's word. His generosity and love and acceptance for you. And guess what? I pray in seeing that you will realize where you fit in and what you need to now be to other people. Because how will they know? Unless what? We tell them. God could have chosen any means. But through understanding his word, we see that the object, what he chose through all of that was you and I to what? To relay the subject and to carry out the action of the verb. To give life, to give help to many other people. You see, the word of God is more than a book. It's more than words. It needs to be the very action of our lives. And that's why We must understand it and live it each and every day. Would you bow your heads today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartsea's Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.